So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. The year was 1963 and Martin Luther King Jr., an American Baptist minister, civil rights leader, and political philosopher. He led a march of 250,000 civil rights supporters to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. In this march, Martin Luther King Jr., he gave a speech that has now been famously referred to as the I Have a Dream speech. In this speech, Martin Luther King Jr., he described the injustices that black Americans continued to face in the, uh, the USA, and they still didn't have the freedom that they had been working for for such a long time. And every single word of his speech was so carefully thought through and planned, but at one point, someone called Mahalia Jackson, who was a world-famous gospel singer, screamed out and said, "'Tell us about the dream, Martin. Tell us about the dream.'" 
And it was at this point that Martin left his notes and presented the part of the speech that you just saw, then with the most famous words being, I have a dream. John Meacham, a commentator, writes that with a single phrase, King joined Jefferson and Lincoln in the ranks of men who have shaped modern America. Sean O'Grady described this speech as having a strong claim to being the greatest in the English language of all time. Now, this dream that Martin Luther King describes here didn't just stay at words, but led to significant change in the society of that day. Now, sadly, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in 1968, but then just 40 years after this assassination, something happened which was the result of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. And this event was the first black president, Barack Obama, who came into office. Now, irrelevant of what you think of Obama's political policies, this is an amazing thing that in just over 40 years after this speech, society had changed to such an extent that much of Martin's dream had not just been realised, but had been exceeded. A little over 40 years ago, there was also another dream of people here in our community. There was a group of people who had been running a Sunday school for several years, and they had a dream of establishing a permanent church presence through a building in Brackenridge, and that dream was realised here in 1986. And since then, there have been many further dreams about how this presence could be expanded and continued. But 1986, this was a key moment for the community of this church who had desired a permanent church presence since 1968 to have a a church presence here in this community. I just want you to turn your eyes to the screen and you can see this, uh, the realisation of this dream here in, uh, in 1986. Baptist Church, this is the culmination of something like eight years of planning. Who would have thought that when services began in the Tafe College just six and a half years ago, that there would be such a vital church fellowship as we have now in Brackenridge. Under the leadership of Pastor Ted Brett, who I'm pleased to see here today with his wife, Later, supported by myself as a team, the fellowship made steady progress and soon turned its thoughts towards building for the future needs of the work. Our church secretary, Ralph Brett. Stay there, stay there, stay there. Church secretary's job is not an easy job. He has to coordinate, he has to work together and bring it all together. And... uh, He's been working there as a member of the building committee. He's been working as, a, as the secretary of the church on the administration committee. Uh, he's had his uh, contribution in the pastorate committee. He is a vital man in the life of a Baptist church. And he does so much work behind the scenes that uh, such a num- so many people don't really know what he does. And uh, I would like to say how much we've appreciated, Ralph, what you have done. And uh, I know you're going to make a statement now uh, concerning some of the things in the church life. 
but uh, the members of our congregation and others would like to express their appreciation to you for what you've done. Of course, it's the beginning of a new era of ministry. Uh, we don't sit back now and say, well, uh, we've got a building, we have a, a great work to do, and uh, we are just trusting God to show us uh, the direction. Uh, we know there are many needs, and uh, in his uh, guidance day by day, we expect that uh, many people will uh, see miracles of grace in their lives, and children will be uh, brought to uh, a knowledge of Christ, and... Uh, There'll be um, an effort to train them in good citizenship and uh, to commit their lives continuing uh, in continuing service to the Lord. been sitting for a little while right now, and so I'm going to ask everyone to stand to your feet. This is a joint activity. We don't just stand for worship in our church. We stand for other things as well. And what I want you to do is remain standing if you have been part of this church for one year or more. Remain standing. Consider if you have been here for less than that time. Now, if you've been here for this church, at uh, this church for two years or more, remain standing. We're going to go a bit more right now, a little bit over double. If you've been at this church for five years or more, remain standing. I'll be sitting at this point. Doubling now. If you've been at this church for ten years or more, remain standing. Now, if you've been at this church for 20 years or more, remain standing. Oh, there we go. Jazz, I didn't even know you were 20 years old. <laughs> if you've been at this church for... Are you 20? You're 21, there we go. Um, if you've been at this church for 30 years or more, remain standing. The Sweetmans up the back were probably about two or three years old. Or <laughs> oh, one, there you go. If you've been at this church for 40 years or more, remain standing. There we go. Can we give him a round of applause?
That's a wonderful. We just really want to honour all of you who have been at this church and invested so much over, uh, over so many years. Whether you've been here for 40 years or more, or if you've only been here for a few months and have invested something into this church family here, we just really want to say thank you. Throughout this period of the church's history, we have had over 734 people become members of this church, which doesn't include everyone else who has called this church their church home. And because of the willingness of a small group of people who were dreaming way back in 1968, literally thousands of people have been impacted through the presence of this church community here in Brackenridge. And my guess is, you can correct me, uh, Ralph and Madeline, later on if you would like, my guess is, is that the dreams of these people have not just been realised but even exceeded But this is what our God does. God exceeds what we dream when he has placed things in the hearts of his people. He very rarely just achieves what we have dreamt if he has placed certain dreams in our hearts, but he will often exceed our expectations. Now today, we're going to be continuing going through the book of Ephesians. You might have been thinking that we would have a break for today on Commitment Sunday, but no, we're not having a break and seeing what God is able to do through uh, God's people when we surrender ourselves to him and we pursue the dreams that he has for for our lives. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 21. It'll be up there on the screen as well. Ephesians 3 14 to 21 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, I've been a church, a part of this church for just over four years now. And the day that I started at this church, just over four years ago, my wife, Sarah, posted this photo on Facebook with the following caption. I'll just see it up there on the screen right now. Sarah's caption was, documenting this moment because God is so good. Yesterday, we began our journey at Brackenridge Baptist Church and Dave was formally inducted as lead pastor. It's been such a big year of praying, discerning, waiting, trusting, but through a lot of unknowns, we knew one thing was for sure, he is faithful. 12 months ago, we really had no idea that we would be here today. It wasn't a part of our plan, but God revealed a plan greater than ours. So we followed and said yes, and we are so excited and expectant for this season. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be in the church of Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So even back then, four years ago, at the beginning of my journey,
here into this church. God was speaking to me specifically through this passage in Ephesians. This passage holds significance for me personally, but I also believe that this passage in Ephesians is able to have significance for all of us here in our church corporately. Now, you may have thought that today we were going to take a break from Ephesians, but I believe this passage has landed at the perfect time for us today as we get into this prayer of Paul's. And there's three Three different things that we're going to be doing today as we look at this prayer that Paul prays in this moment. We're going to ask three questions around this passage, which is where is the prayer? What does Paul pray? And what does this mean for us today? So firstly, where is the prayer? This might seem like an unimportant question for us to ask, but this passage that we just read is the turning point or the hinge in the whole book of Ephesians. It's the thing that holds the first half onto the second half. Now, up to this point, Paul has been describing the wonders of what it means to be in Christ. He's been speaking again and again about the identity that we have as believers of being in Christ. This is what the first three chapters have been centered around uh, what it looks like for, uh, for our identity to be after we place our faith in God. Now, after this passage, however, Paul moves from just speaking about identity in Christ and moves to speaking about the implications of that identity and how it applies to everyday life. That's what we're going to be looking at in our incoming weeks as we go through the rest of Ephesians. And he goes from somewhat abstract theological language that we've seen in the first three chapters to very practical, everyday living. His language, it changes from cosmic to personal. But before he does that, he seems to take this strange pause in this passage. Paul stops his regular writing, he drops down to his knees, and he offers up a prayer to God. Why would he do that? Why would Paul use a prayer in this moment as the hinge connecting these two different parts of Ephesians? Now, although Paul is writing to a mix of Gentiles and Jews, Paul still has a very Jewish way of writing. And in Jewish writing, placement is key. And this letter that Paul is writing would very rarely have been, uh, have been picked apart in the way that we do in our church services and expounded in the way that we do here. More often, these letters would simply be read from the start to the end in gatherings as one holistic picture. And the fact that Paul uses prayer to link the cosmic to the personal is very deliberate. Now, when you view these are the first half of Ephesians as the cosmic God bringing wondrous new identity to believers, and then the second half as a personal application to this everyday life, and then prayer being the thing that connects both of these, you realize that it is prayer that is the thing that connects heaven to earth. Prayer is the function that God gives us of experiencing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is what makes the intangible and all-powerful tangible and practical. Prayer is a, th is a connecting point between heaven to earth. Prayer is a thing that releases heaven's resources here on earth so that we can experience, in Paul's words, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. 
So prayer is a connecting point between heaven to earth. That's what the placement of this passage shows us. Now, although prayer is the thing that enables heaven's resources to be released here on the earth, notice how Paul starts his prayer. When we pray, often it can be in the uh, form of a shopping list. We might present certain, uh, certain things to God. We might say, God, please heal this person, or God, please provide for this need, or God, please remove this struggle that I have. And none of this is a bad thing for us to do. In Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, no matter what you're going through, in every little or big thing, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There's a lot of P's in that passage. Now, Paul, Paul presents requests. Can't laugh every time I say a P now. Now, Paul Paul presents requests to God in this, uh, in this passage. We see that here in, uh, in Ephesians 3. And a lot of this passage is Paul presenting requests to God on behalf of the Ephesian church. But he doesn't just present requests. He doesn't just ask things of God on, beh- uh, on behalf of the Ephesian church, but he couples every single request with something to do with the nature and the knowledge of God. Once again, drawing the heavenly aspects of God to the everyday real life. Paul prays the promises of God over the problems that he can be, uh, that can, he can be facing and that the Ephesian church can be facing. And this is how Paul prays. He, promises, pr- he prays promises over problems. Now, before he presents a need to God, he acknowledges something of God that he knows to be true. And here's the promises that we see here in this passage. We see here the promises that God is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the God of glorious riches. God provides strength and power through his spirit. God's love is wide and long and high and deep, demonstrated through the person and work of Christ. God's love surpasses knowledge. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. And these are the promises that that Paul declares here before he addresses any problems that he's uh, speaking about in the Ephesian church or for himself. Now, if I was in Paul's shoes myself, I don't know if I would pray in the same way that he does. At this point in time, Paul's in prison, and contrary to our idea of prison, Paul would have been in a terrible need there. Prisoners in ancient Rome, they would face crowded and unsanitary conditions. Prisons in ancient Rome, they were often overcrowded with many inmates crammed into small cells. This overcrowding would lead to unsanitary conditions as there was little space for people's um, own personal hygiene. Inmates, they were at high risk of contracting diseases. There was lack of, edu- uh, of adequate ventilation. The cells in Roman prisons typically had uh, inadequate ventilation, which meant poor air quality and limited sunlight. And often prison w- prisoners would be kept, um, kept underground. There was a lack of food and water. Inmates relied on family and friends to provide them with their food and water. They didn't get provided their food and water by the prison system. So those who didn't have support from the outside 
often faced hunger and thirst and sometimes death. There were vermin and pests, there was little to no medical care if you got diseases, there was harsh treatment and this could include physical punishments like flogging and torture was sometimes used to extract um, confessions. And this is the environment that Paul is writing from. And yet he doesn't centre his prayers around all of the different things that he's going through in his life. Rather, he speaks to something greater, which is the promises of God, the things that he acknowledges to be true. Paul is focused on this greater truth of the promises of God over his own circumstances. The promises of God are a truer reality than what we can face in our, uh, in our own everyday life. Now, if you only come to God just with an attitude of, uh, of wanting him to fix your immediate needs, then you can come essentially to God with an attitude of scarcity because you're only expecting for God to fulfill that one need rather than God pouring out his glorious riches upon you. God isn't in the business of just fulfilling what we ask for, if it's in accordance with his will, but he's a God who goes above and beyond in the way that he blesses his children. This is what the first uh, three chapters of Ephesians have been all about. The father who is lavishing every spiritual blessing upon his dearly loved children. This doesn't mean that we uh, don't come to God with individual needs in our lives, but it does mean that our attitude needs to shift from simply viewing God as the provider of individual needs to being the God of immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Prayer's primary purpose, it's not problem removal, but it's promise application. Prayer is where God's promises are applied. Our son Zechariah, he, hey buddy, our son Zechariah has had a few different play areas in our house. Um, with our two-story house, this is very useful, not needing to drag toys all, uh, all around the place. And we've been very blessed with some people giving us some very high-quality toys for Zek to be able to play with. But Zek doesn't always want to play with his toys. In fact, he very rarely wants to play with his toys. More often than not, he will find some obscure house item to play with instead. This past week, he got his hands on some cardboard packaging from a package that we had delivered, and he would not be separated from this cardboard packaging. He played and played with this cardboard, and I tried taking it off him at one point, and this was a bad idea. He was not having a bar of me taking this cardboard packaging off him. And I looked at my wife and said, how come he can have all of these amazing, wonderful, creative toys and the one thing he wants to play with is some cardboard packaging? It did make me think it would actually be a lot easier if that's all he ever wanted to play with and we just bought him some cardboard to, uh, to keep him happy. With Zek, there is the cardboard packaging that he's playing with, but the whole time you, I was just thinking, there is better here for him. There are these amazing, creative, wonderful toys that he could be using, and yet he was distracted by this one little thing whilst he had all the toys that he could dream of just at his fingertips. Now, for us, 
Don't just get lost in the situation that you find yourself in right now. Don't get distracted by the immediate. Trust in the vast promises of God for your life that we see all throughout Scripture. God has immeasurably more for us than we can comprehend. So approach God like that. So with all of that said, what does any of this have to do with Commitment Sunday? I mean, Alex was sharing about our building needs just before, and today is a day that we commit to raising the necessary finances for Commitment Sunday. So what does anything I've just said have to do with that? Commitment Sunday is this day where we do give above and beyond our regular giving, but it's also the day that we come before God and we pray to Him and ask that He might do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine through what we are bringing before Him. Taking little and accomplishing much, this is what God is in the business of doing. Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. In the parable of the talents, Jesus teaches, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. In Ephesians 1, we're told, we're told that we've already received every spiritual blessing in, in Christ. God takes what we give him and he is able to do so much with it. That's what we see even through what we were talking about before in the history of our own church. Now, what I'm not saying is that when you give God $100, he's going to somehow magically make it $500. He might choose to do that, and I've heard some situations where things like that have happened. But what I am saying is that your gift, no matter how big or small what you're committing to give, is able to be used by God that can make an impact on people for not just the immediate, but for all eternity. What you'll be giving today is not just about a building, it's about creating spaces that God might be at work in people's lives so that they can be impacted for the long haul, for eternity. It might not always feel like that as you're just writing some numbers down, but your giving, including your regular giving, is able to be used by God and blessed by God to make a far bigger impact than just what you see initially. It's, been, it's able to be taken by God and used to make a lasting impact. Now, at the moment, we do have a need this need is $125,000 that the church council believes that God is calling us to for this financial year to make stage one, um, or oh, that step closer to becoming a reality. Now, we believe that God is calling us collectively to give towards the church here uh, through these building projects. Um, but can I also just take a quick side note? Because we also have a, a need currently within our, uh, our regular budgeted giving. Currently, we're only hitting about 86% of our annual budgeted amount, which means that there are certain things that we won't be able to do that we believe that God is calling us to, and that's the reality of the, uh, of the situation. It doesn't always feel as sexy or nice giving to the regular giving. I mean, who wants to give to a photocopying budget or the electricity or the rates or even the staff wages? But through your regular giving, so, so, so much ministry is able to happen regularly throughout our church. 
Now, giving to the building fund is something that we believe that we should do for the generations to come, but ministry right now does need to continue as well, and your regular giving contributes greatly to that, and God takes that and uses it to make a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. So can I encourage you to be in prayer about your regular giving? Maybe God today is saying, actually, I want you to invest into that instead of the, uh, in, instead of the building fund. But my prayer, though, is that you will see the dream that's possible f- for us together in the future that we have been speaking about for the past few weeks, and that you'll also invest into that. Now, whatever gift you commit to giving today, I believe that God is going to take it and do immeasurably more with it than you can ask or imagine according to his glorious riches. Growing up, I only ever knew one of my grandparents, which was grandma. I loved my grandma a lot and we used to have long conversations about all kinds of things. But one day, my mum went round to visit and found her on the floor in her townhouse, unable to move. And Grandma had had a stroke and needed to be taken to hospital and spent a fair amount of time there in Wynnum Hospital. Now, initially, we were told that she would be able to recover, but it became pretty clear after about a month that grandma didn't have the mental or emotional energy to do the rehab that would be necessary for her to recover. Grandma was unable to walk or talk, and so she ended up in a nursing home with us going around to visit as often as possible. And at the same time, I was studying at Bible college. And this was the days before distance study became what it is today. And so I used to drive in to Malian Theological College at Gaythorne three times a week in my little Ford Festiva. Unfortunately, my Festiva was getting pretty old and the gearbox collapsed as I was driving one day. And so I was stuck with... Uh, without a car. Um, to get this fixed, we were told that to, uh, to fix the gearbox would cost more than, uh, than buying a, uh, than my car was worth. And I had very little spare money as a 21-year-old Bible college student to be able to fork out for a, uh, for a new car. Now, I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to get to Bible college. And so I, d- I thought, um, what's the normal thing you do? You go to your parents, ask for a, uh, a possible solution. My parents, they suggested that I, um, that I approach grandma and ask her to give me her car. Now, even though at this stage, it was highly unlikely that grandma would ever drive again, giving away your car for free to someone, even if it is your grandson, is still a pretty big ask. But I really did need a way that I could drive and make it into, uh, into college to do my studies. So my parents and I, we visited grandma in the nursing home and I asked if she might be willing to give me her car. This car was also a Ford Festiva. (laughs) And grandma didn't say anything. She wasn't able to talk because of nerve issues that she had from the stroke, but she just lit up with this big smile across her face and gave the biggest nod that she was able to do in that moment. Now, it may have seemed like a small thing, but I was looking back on this this past week and thinking, what if she'd shook her head? 
What if she had been stubborn and thinking, that's my car, and I might be able to get out of here to use it once again. I might be able to do the, the rehab necessary. I want to hold on to this, uh, this thing. But because of that gift, that might seem like a really small thing, because of that gift, I was able to continue my studies. I was able to, uh, to save a huge amount of money on a new car, meaning that I could complete my studies quicker rather than having to work more to save for a car. And because of that gift, I completed my studies on time. I was able to become a pastor at a timing that God was so clearly in. And even an event after event was uh, followed this just because of this one joy-filled gift of my grandma giving me a car all those years ago. When you give, God takes your gift and can do far more with it than you can possibly comprehend or understand in that moment. He accomplishes far more than just an immediate need. He accomplishes things for, possibly, for generations to come. There will be long-term effects of what you committing to give today um, that the possibility, the possibility of that could impact hundreds of people for the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about giving joyfully, and I think that knowing that God can take our gifts and multiply them, do more than we ask or imagine, that's one of the things that can help us to give joyfully. We can be assured that God will take our gifts and make a huge difference for his kingdom. I'm just going to invite the band up right now. And what I want to do in a minute is pray. I want to pray in a way like Paul prayed here in this passage. We are going to call upon the God of the universe to bring his kingdom here in this church as it is in heaven. We're going to pray that God will take the money that is committed here today and do immeasurably more with it than we can ask or imagine. After I finish praying and the team leads us in worship, I just want to invite you to join and stand when you are ready. But I also invite you, want to invite... Um, I want to invite you to come up and, uh, and place your cards in the boxes up the front. You'll see them here on your right and your left. And this is a sign of your commitment to what God is calling you to commit to giving. Taking a physical step is something that cements in your own mind, in your own body, that this is something that you are committing to. So if you want to take some time to pray on your own before coming forward, you'll see those, uh, those cards in your booklets that you were given at the front door. Spend some time praying about what God might be leading you to, uh, to commit to giving. And then when you're ready, feel free to, uh, to come forward and place your card in the box and let's surrender ourselves fully to, uh, to God. There's no pressure to come forward. However, I also just want to say, don't let any prompting of God be pushed away in your mind. So let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, would your kingdom come and your will be done in Brackenridge Baptist Church as it is in heaven. We kneel before you, King of heaven, surrendering everything that we are to you. We surrender our thoughts, our families, our careers, our relationships, and even our money into your hands, knowing that you are able to fill all of it with the fullness of the power of God.
We receive your blessing knowing that you are a God of glorious riches who blesses your children in ways that we don't always understand. We know that you seek to bless us because you love us as your children with a love that surpasses knowledge, a love that is wide and long and high and deep, demonstrated fully through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We believe that through what we commit to you here today, you will do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. And out of the immeasurable more that is accomplished, we pray that yours will be the glory in this church and in every church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.